Have you ever been like scrolling through Instagram and you come across someone who just seems really interesting so you go to their page and you're scrolling through and you're just kind of curious about them looking at their pictures and something in you shifts like super suddenly uh, just from curiosity about their life to sort of comparing your life and their life where you're you're comparing your pictures and their pictures you're comparing uh, the number of followers that you have with the number of followers that they have you're comparing uh, your sourdough bread with their sourdough bread which looks so much better and uh, by the end of it you just feel kind of gross and discouraged I know for myself uh, maybe maybe if you're like me Sometimes I'll like get into these deep dive, uh, sort of like Wikipedia dives where I'm just like looking up someone who I'm really, really fascinated by, someone I really admire. And I could find myself sort of like measuring out like, okay, how much had they accomplished already by the time that they were my age? Essentially like how far behind am I? How, how far do I have to catch up to get to where they were? And it's even like embarrassing to you know, to say that now, it's like there's something about comparison that's so embarrassing because none of us like it. We know that it's, it's so dumb, it's so petty, it's so pointless, and yet we all do it, right? It's like we so easily find ourselves stuck in these stories of comparison where we're never good enough, where we're never cool enough, where uh, our body is never uh, as fit or attractive enough, where we're not as successful enough. And it seems like the only way in which we can possibly win that comparison game is by putting the other people around us down. The thing about comparison is that when we get stuck in the comparison game, when we get stuck in stories of comparison, we actually stop living our life. We stop being the people that God put us on this earth to be. In uh, the end of John's Gospel, he tells us a story about a conversation that Peter and Jesus have where Peter's, you know, just, just had his encounter with the risen Christ where Jesus forgives him of, of denying him three times. He forgives him of his sins. He heals his memory. Like Father Aaron talked about last week, the Lord Jesus builds a bridge for Peter between his past failures and the future commission that he's calling him to, his future vocation. But he also lets Peter know that in following after him, Peter's going to suffer. He's going to suffer uh, just like Jesus did. He's going to experience a really public, really shameful death. He's going to be led somewhere that he doesn't want to go. And so in our, our text this morning where we pick up this story, uh, we see that upon hearing this news, Peter quickly finds himself stuck in a story of comparison. And we'll see how Jesus comes and, and tries to bring him out of that story of comparison and lead him into the bigger and better story that Jesus was wanting to tell. So let's, let's look together at John 21, starting in verse 20. Let's see how the Lord Jesus meets Peter and help set him free from his story of comparison. So Peter and Jesus are walking along the shore. And it says, 
Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So Peter and Jesus are taking a walk. They were with the other disciples, but you know, maybe Jesus saw the shock on Peter's face or just the sadness and the disappointment when he told them all that he's going to have to suffer. And so maybe Jesus like pulls Peter aside. Like he just wants some intentional one-on-one time with Peter to process what he's just told him. And as they're walking along the shore together, Peter looks back and he sees that John is following them. He's gotten up and he's following Jesus and them as they're walking along the shore. He's behind them. And, you know, John, he never uh, usually names himself directly, but he refers to himself over and over again in his gospel account as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, John, I think, would be the first to say that every disciple of Jesus is the disciple that Jesus loved. But what we see in the gospel account is that John was just intimately aware. He was particularly aware of the love that Jesus had for him, and he was particularly open to it. And they had this intimate, uh, very deep friendship and relationship because of that. I mean, John points to it in the, in the text, the depth of their relationship, when he mentions that he's the one who felt comfortable enough to lean his head back on Jesus's chest at the Last Supper and to just ask him the question that was on his mind. You know, who's, who's the one here who's going to betray you? So they had this deep, intimate relationship that I'm sure all the disciples were very aware of. Maybe they were even jealous of. And so when Peter's walking with Jesus and he looks back and sees John following behind him, there's a story that begins to play in his mind. And we can hear a little bit of that story in his question. Lord, what about this man? Do you hear like the the envy and just the defensiveness, the sense of comparison and deflection? What about John? Does John have a special calling too, like you gave me a special job? Wait, are you going to make John suffer like you're going to make me suffer? Do you you intend that John's death might glorify you more than my death if he is going to die? Maybe we can even hear like a little bit of an edge to Peter's question. Like, you always did love John more, didn't you, Jesus? Either way, no matter what the comparison story was that Peter was telling himself, he's stuck in a story of comparison. Our temptation, uh, like Peter, is so often to turn our eyes and our gaze away from Jesus, to stop following him, and to start looking around, and to start comparing ourselves with others. Why hasn't God blessed me like this person? How come this person at my job, who works just as hard as I do, does the same work as me, how come they get all the promotions? How come Everybody seems to laugh when this person tells the jokes. Like, how come 
this person seems to be the kind of parent that I'd like to be? Why does it seem like they're parenting better than I am? It's so easy for us to get stuck in these stories of comparison. And I think that one big story that a lot of us get stuck in, one belief that we have, whether we would admit it or not, is that God actually loves and favors the more mature Christians. That it's like for the people who seem extra spiritual, for the people who wake up and, you know, do their morning prayers and devotions consistently, for the people who, you know, their biggest sins are things that seem small to us, like pride or legalism. Like I'd like to have, you know, the sin of perfectionism. It's like God actually has more love and uh, more grace, more affection for those people. God wants to pour his blessings on them. Jesus might love me, but he doesn't actually like me. And he doesn't, he definitely doesn't trust me. He's not willing to trust me with a big job. What's the story that you're telling yourself this morning? Where are you stuck? Who are you looking at? Who are you comparing yourself against? Let's look at how Jesus responds to Peter to get him unstuck and how he wants to get us unstuck as well. In verse 22, Jesus said to him, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? The story of comparison that we tell ourselves, it's always a sadder and always a smaller and more unrealistic story than the story that Jesus wants to tell. And so what we see in Jesus' response to Peter is that uh, he doesn't take the bait of Peter's question and allow himself to get, to get uh, you know, stuck in Peter's smaller story and led into Peter's smaller story. But Jesus actually wants to take Peter and bring him into reality. So Jesus, he asks Peter a question to bring him into his story. He says, Peter, what is that to you? If I desire that, that John should live until I come again on the earth, what's that to you? You follow me. One thing I love about Jesus is that He's so real. Like, there's no comparison in Jesus at all. Jesus, although he was morally perfect, although he was uh, God incarnate, he's not looking at the people around him uh, and comparing himself to them. He's not looking at his disciples and comparing them to each other. I mean, Jesus could have, he could have easily said to Peter, like, Peter, when I look at you and John, I'm not comparing you at all. I see two separate people with two separate gifts two separate callings that are both going to give me glory. But he didn't do that because Peter wouldn't be able to receive that. It would have just taken him further down his fantasy land uh, of comparison. So Jesus confronts him with reality and seeks to lead him into what's real. Where is it in your life this morning 
that Jesus wants to lead you into reality? Where is it? What's the story that you're telling yourself that Jesus wants to draw you out of so that he can bring you into the bigger and better story that he's telling? What thing in your life right now that you find yourself uh, just so easily flocking to to compare yourself to or against, to either make yourself better or to sort of beat yourself up and make yourself feel worse? What is that? Because this morning, Jesus is pointing to that thing and he's saying to each of us, that's not for you. You follow me. His story is so much bigger, so much better. It's so much truer and realer than the stories that we so often get stuck in. And one thing that we see about John is that John, he's totally free because he's totally enthralled in Jesus's story. John is so captivated with Jesus and his story that he can't help but tell it. Look with me at verse 24. This, John, is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who's written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John identifies himself as an eyewitness to the things that happened. And again, this isn't his way of bragging like, I was there. But the, John's actually, this is his way of, try, of inviting us into the story, of trying to bring us into the truth and the beauty and the goodness of Jesus's story. John's saying like, hey, everything that I wrote about, everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did actually happened. It is historical fact. That means that the freedom that Jesus brings is a real freedom. The freedom of Jesus's story that he wants to bring us into, it's not like the fantasy land of comparison, but it's actually a story with foundations. Its freedom is rooted in reality. It's a freedom that our soul can grow up into, that we can actually follow Jesus into. And one thing I love especially about Jesus's story is that although it's it's bigger than us, it's big enough for each of us to have our own place in it. Jesus's story is big enough. Unlike the narrow stories of comparison that we tell, in which either we can't quite fit in them or we've got to force other people out of them so that there's enough room for us, Jesus's story is big enough that each of us actually have a God-designed, God-appointed place and role to play in that story. And it's a story that's, that's actually big enough to include and to bring in and to redeem all of the really ugly parts of our own story. It's a story in which we're free to be able to look at our, our mistakes and our failures. We're able to look at the things that, uh, you know, maybe rightfully so, we struggle with about our character, the less than pleasant parts, the less than pure motives. In Jesus's story, all of those things can be healed. All of those things can be redeemed because we don't just have to see ourselves as vulnerable, as broken and bleeding. 
but we also see that we've been bled for, that we are loved, more loved, more cherished, more forgiven than we could ever hope or imagine. Jesus's story is big enough. It's big enough for us to enter into it, big enough for us to grow into it. One practical way that I think we can all uh, allow Jesus to lead us out of our narrow stories of comparison into the bigger and better, more beautiful story that he's telling this week is actually an ancient Christian practice called the examine. And so the purpose of the examine is uh, on a daily basis to essentially sit down and to examine your life and to look for several key things, to look for where are the ways in which God just showed his love towards me today? Where are the signs of God's grace in my life? The ways in which I experienced not only his love and his tenderness and his mercy, uh, whether it's just immediately in my own, own soul, just uh, feeling that sense of God's love, or whether it was immediately through other people, uh, a good friend who called me up and just our conversation was really encouraging or just a really sweet encounter with your kid or a particularly good cup of coffee. Um, to be able to keep a log and to even write down all of the ways in which we've experienced God's love and God's grace. And then to also reflect and ask the Lord as you review your day with the Spirit's help, where were the places that I got stuck? Usually we'll see that um, those are sort of common places that we tend to get stuck. There's usually not too many anomalies. And so as we become more aware of these uh, places in which we can tend to get stuck comparing ourselves with other, it becomes reminders as we enter into those situations and enter into our day to ask for the Lord's help, to ask Jesus in those moments when we become aware of them, hey, I'm stuck right now in a small story of comparison. Jesus, can you come and rescue me and free me and help me to follow you into the bigger and the better story that you're telling? I love that John says uh, that if, if all, all the things that Jesus said, all the things that Jesus did were to be written down, the whole world couldn't contain all the libraries of books that would be written. And I think by this week, just every single day, keeping your own log of God's love and God's grace in your life, and also being able to become more aware of the ways in which we get stuck. And then as we flip through our log throughout the week to see the ways in which God's grace actually meets us in those places we get stuck and helps us to, uh, to grow out of them, helps us to uh, not get stuck there as often. We're sort of like adding our, our own book to that worldwide library of collections, speaking of Jesus's goodness, speaking of his love. Another quick practice too is that as you, uh, in your time of examine, encounter God's love through somebody else, maybe even someone especially that you'd be tempted to compare yourself to or to put down, to reach out to them and to say, hey, when you said this, it actually really blessed me. Or hey, this, this um, conversation that we had was really, really encouraging. Or that video that you made, uh, this piece of art that you created, you're really talented. And, um, and I, I just want to say that I really appreciated that. Thank you for sharing it helps us to break some of those patterns of comparison and get us unstuck by calling out the gifts that God's given to others and affirming him there. So my hope and my prayer for each of us as we go into this week is that the Lord Jesus, the risen Jesus, 
would meet each of us in the places that we are stuck, would meet us in the smaller, uh, sadder stories of comparison that we can get stuck in, and that we would experience him leading us and saying to each of us, that's not for you, you follow me into the bigger and the better story that he's telling. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.